You know you in London when you get up in January and you look out the window and it's snowing. Welcome to the On The Whistle podcast, your home for African football. I'm your host, Zayn Nabi. I'm lamenting the cold weather, but I'm happy to be delivering a podcast for you today that will be looking at the African Nations Championship taking place in Cameroon. We have our man on the ground, the mover, the shaker that is Francis Nguyen, the sports media executive you want to know who's on the ground in Yaoundi and will be giving us the latest. Um, we also have um, Ahmed Yusuf, the editor of Kingfoot magazine. And uh, well, it's not a magazine, it's a website. And we have uh, Francis and Quain, not Francis and Quain, we have Courtney Fries, the uh, Premier Soccer League winner with uh, the now defunct Manning Rangers with us um, to go through the Premier League. We'll take a temperature check at all the... Um, all the movements. Um, we'll look at some of our predictions preseason and see how they're doing. And we'll end the show by taking a look at the transfer window and also giving you an overview on how Brexit has impacted uh, the movement of players in Europe and how that's created a few opportunities for international players and African players around the world. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Francis and Yawuni, Ahmed and uh, Courtney here in the United Kingdom. How are you guys doing today? Pretty well, thank you. Happy New Year, by the way. Happy New Year. Welcome to our first podcast. And for those of you out there who are big fans of the show, this is our one-year birthday edition. Did you know that? No. Oh, that's wonderful. That is great. Time, times have just flown by this, this uh, year. One year. I can't believe it. You know, yeah. it's not like Courtney to remember anniversaries, right? Courtney, do you want to tell us that story? <laughs> please, please. Let's not even talk about it. There's people in the house that yet. <laughs> please, please. So, well, for those of you who don't know, I'll have to fill you in. Courtney, we had a recording for a show night and we had to cancel it. Why did we have to cancel this, um, this December recording? <laughs> Because I, I uh, forgot my wedding anniversary. <laughs> I'm gonna blame. I'm gonna blame the workload. <laughs> you know why? I, you know why I love this because I'm friends with your wife on Facebook. We're old oh. people, so old people on Facebook, and she wrote this amazing tribute to you, Courtney, about how you guys had been together for 15 years and you're the man of her dreams, and you didn't even see that. <laughs> Please let's change the topic. I'm just getting over that fight now. Please let's not talk about All right, all right. We'll move it on. We'll move it on. We'll let Francis save you. Francis, you are in Cameroon, you are in your Wundi. Um the tournament from an African perspective that's really been in the spotlight and is still going on now is the African Nations Championship, also known as the CHAN. This is a tournament that involves countries from around Africa with just the best, the cream of the crop of locally selected players. Um, do you want to give us an overview of uh, the tournament? And um, I know you've been to a few games. What's your experience been like? Well, first of all, uh, I think it's really interesting uh, that we have the tournament. Infantino, the president of uh, FIFA, was actually here for the inauguration of the tournament. Uh, just to paint a picture of the stature. And one of the things he was saying in his opening discourse was uh, about how this is like the very first international tournament uh, we've had this year and this period of, of uh, 
the virus, so to speak, where you have nations coming together for a footballing tournament. Um, it focuses, it's, it's a tournament for nations, yes, but with a focus on talent that plays domestically. So it's almost like a platform that gives them the ability to showcase their talent because a lot of our countries now, the cream of the crop seem to make their way off the continent a lot earlier. So the best of our best, so to speak, maybe play in Europe or in other parts of the world. So it's an opportunity for home talent to exhibit their wares, their skills, coaching, same way. And first thing I must say is the opening ceremony for me, I, and this is also like being a Cameroonian, was surprisingly lovely. I, I don't know, maybe the bar was set so low in our heads and you kind of like think, uh, it's just going to be a thing for like the local lads and it's just something but it was befitting of the continent befitting of of the period so to speak because i think we all need to feel like there's some return towards normalcy or at least a march towards it and i think the tournament has begun to give us a format that people can begin to see how things could be or uh, and maybe how they should be um so so far it's been really interesting the most impressive thing for me has been the quality of the infrastructure uh the stadium been really good a lot of the coaches have spoken about the training facilities in particular i know cameroon is using this as a warm-up to the can the afcon which will be taking place next year same time next year it was pushed because of the pandemic uh so january of the 2022 um, will be uh, when the 2019 <laughs> Cup of Nations will be taking place. Um, you obviously work in the space where you, you're looking for talent all the time. Have there been any players, any teams, um, maybe the way somebody's managed or coached a team that's caught your eye during this tournament? First thing I'll say is one of the things I've been particularly taken by is the number of, of scouts, uh, foreign, particularly European teams that are present on the ground. Um, and every conversation you have with them, you get this distinct feeling that it's a tremendous opportunity for them to come and recruit. Um, and so there are a lot of people around and there has been an impressive array of talent. Um, different spaces, you know, people come with, with uh, objectives. Uh, everybody traditionally has looked at the fast-paced uh, ball-carrying winger or the striker. Uh, there's some traditional roles or, 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 or positions that people scout for. But this tournament so far, the real stars have been more in defense. So, like, even, like, with the Cameroonian team, our top goal scorer, who actually is the only person who scored both Cameroon's goals, happens to be a centre-back, a gentleman called Salomon Banga. Uh, amazing player, uh, a lot of... I, I wouldn't insult him by saying a lot of potential. He is already a, a pretty decent player, uh, has levels he can grow to with the right coaching. And I imagine there'd be a lot of people looking at him. But there are a lot uh, in the Guinean team, the, the Zambian team, Tanzania, for example, a country I always keep going on about because I think the structure they've put around their domestic football um, will make them a force, I believe, in the next six to eight years. 
I genuinely think if they stay on the path that they are, we will speak of Tanzania as a footballing powerhouse within the next decade because the talent that they have and the ability for this young talent to play to structures, to play to systems, I think is extremely impressive. Uh, there's a, a particular player, um, I'm trying to remember what his name is. I don't know why it eludes me at this point in time, but hopefully it will come back to me. Um, I think it's, it's Musa. Um, Faridi Musa, that's the name. Uh, he he played. He scored yesterday um, in the game yesterday. Very exciting player. Um, very hard hard to 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 pigeonhole at present as to because he could almost play four or five positions. But I think he's one of those kind of players who you know inadvertently we will be seeing in Europe at some point in time. Um, so there's a lot of those. There's a player who this evening, for example, I, I would encourage the Cameroonian team to be careful with. Um, his name is, I don't know if I pronounced it correctly, Uodraogo, plays for Burkina Faso. Um, he's one of these 10 come nine and a half, come eight, come six. <laughs> so he's in the middle of the park and he can see a pass, make a pass, receive a ball, place a ball, see a run, make a run. He's one of those really, really exciting players who I think uh, is one of those that will also, uh, if he's brave enough and fortune favors his bravery, should make his way onto European shores at some point in time. So there are quite a few. One of the stories that I know um, got picked up by a few sites I certainly was in a Zimbabwean football supporters group. I'm, I, I happen to have the privilege of being a part of. Were the allegations by Zimbabwe in the opening game against Cameroon that there might have been some witchcraft involved as they found um, a dead bat on the on the field? Um, do you want to just give us some perspective into how you saw that story? Well, I think you already know my opinion on this. I think sometimes we add a. Uh oxygen to flames that don't need further fanning. Um, the stories that champion our space very often are the negative ones. And so rather than us talk about talent, it's almost like if you're going to be successful in the Africa space, need. So personally, I don't lay much credence on things like this. Um, and I'm, I must say I'm extremely disappointed when Western press in particular wants to propagate these kind of stories sometimes, and then we, we carry it on ourselves, not understanding the impact it would have in terms of how we see ourselves. Because these things happen, a bird falls from the sky, you take a picture of it, and it is an open space. <laughs> Bats do fly at night, and some die. And I, I don't, I really don't, I'm no expert on the subject. I don't know the particular significance of a bat in terms of winning a game. But I believe in that game, the scoreline was 1-0. Um, maybe they need to kill 11 bats the next time and we might win 11-0. So I, I really generally don't know. <laughs> so, But I really do think as a people, we must step away from these rather um, disproven theories. <laughs> there, we know they're a reality, that people believe in it. But whether they actually have an effect on football, so to speak, 
that much. Uh, I will still argue with people. I'm sure Courtney will have something else to say on the subject. But given what Bruce Groveler told us about Zimbabwe, I can understand why the Zimbabwean community that you are signed up to will think that they lost the game to the mighty Cameroonians because of a bat. Mr. Freeze, would you like to come in there? Mr. Freeze, you're muted. I don't, I don't know why I'm muted. I didn't mute myself. <laughs> um, firstly, I I share the same um, thoughts of what Francis is talking about. Um, you know, it's almost like a sidetrack comment. And also, I think sometimes a comment which basically keeps people down and uh, it almost points to um, not being uh, forward thinking, if I'm being genuinely honest. But in saying that, that is an area which in the football fraternity where I grew up and played, that is heavily used. Even up till now, uh, people believe in these superstitions and do those things, some of the things that... I don't know about bats, first. <laughs> I don't know about bats, but um, the, the the superstitious part in regards to football and getting one up on another team is very strong in South African football, very. Uh, and as I say, having played through it and seeing it, uh, it's just crazy. It's crazy, that type of thought. Um, and I think moving from uh, the, the Chan, we want to bring it to the Premier League because it's probably that time of the season where we want to take a temperature check, see how our uh, pre-season predictions have unfurled. I will say this because I'm not sure I'm going to get the pat on the back I deserve because I deserve this. But I did say my team to watch the season as much as it pains me because I have no affiliation, no loyalty to them whatsoever, was Manchester United. And watch out for what they would be doing this season. Um, Francis, as a dyed-in wool Mancunian, <laughs> how, how have you assessed this season? I think the season is no more than what it is I thought last season was. I, I always had a firm belief that... Part of the success that Liverpool enjoyed had a lot to do with the absence of major injuries to key players, which all teams sustained at some point in time. And they were able to write quite a lengthy period, maybe two to three years, where the guys who they built their team around were able to be available for them twice a week sometimes. Um, this time, it's not because Liverpool is any less or any of the other teams are any part more particularly good. Because if you look at the points, at the same stage of the season last year, I believe Liverpool had like maybe 20 points on the 40 points that United has at present. Like they were banging on 60 or something like that with 18 games gone or something. That's how exceptional they were. And it wasn't the fault of the other teams. It was the exceptionality of the moment that ability to have the players that you want on the pitch, then performing in the system that works for you. So I'm very happy as a United fan to see us where we are, but I'm also not, I'm more happy just about the fact that I can see that there's a system now in place at my club 
that there is almost a direction in which we are moving. I've never doubted that we had the talent. It was whether you could have them on the pitch consistently and have them deliver to a system. And I think that's the case at Spurs. It's the same at City. It's the same at even Aston Villa. It's the same at Everton because I believe Ancelotti, that's the, the team that I thought outside of the traditional names could also maybe put their hands up uh, when they walked into the room this year. Because when you have a coach who has a philosophy, so to speak, and has the talent pool available to them and can be free of injury and extra commitments, they can go just that little bit further. And so I'm very happy with where we are, but I, I'm still not one of those people who thinks we'll be winning the league. I'll be happy if we do, uh, but I would think that have more to do with what others didn't do than what we did. At the start of the season, when Spurs played against United, it was a, you know, a completely deflated side and I think that's credit to Oli because he got a lot of criticism at one stage and he could have even there was talk of him getting sacked and he's managed to turn that round and um yeah it's it's I think they've and honestly they've impressed me because I didn't even think you know I thought it'd be like last year they wouldn't even get Champions League you know they would struggle because they you know they didn't add huge amounts of players really they kind of got Cavani in um and um, can't remember anything else. They kind of Bruno Fernandes obviously came in. He came in last season, um, but I didn't see anything uh, impressive. So they've impressed me. I think to me, I, um, the favourites now are going to be United or City or and Liverpool. Um, Leicester still have a chance, and given they've they've won the league more recently than United, they've probably you know got that you know this. People forget that Leicester are a big, big club. They could go on and win two league titles in the space in, in, within this last year, six, seven years, which really solidify them as a top four you know, team if they do that. Um, and, and they've again impressed. I think with with COVID and all of the um, you know, injuries, but also earlier on in the season, when a lot of players were missing games because they were testing positive for COVID. That was shaking things up and shaking the league. And I think Liverpool did suffer from that. Um, and that's why their results have have kind of suffered. And, and as you said, Liverpool have had that same squad for the last couple of years, but they've not really, other than you know, Thiago, they've not gone and built on what they of their successful season last year. I was always said, you know, Mourinho and when was it Chelsea back in the day that the hardest thing was winning the second, winning consecutive season. And to do that, you think you've got that squad who's just one. You think you've got a good squad that actually needs to add a lot to it. And, and a lot of managers don't do that. So um, that's why they're struggling. But I mean, it's, it's been great to see uh, it's Everton Leicester are still doing well. But for me, one of the sides as well that's impressed and even still on with a shout out for top four is West Ham, who, who and David Moyes kind of last year did pretty badly. And, and, and even, you know, they, they're kind of written off as, you know, Relegation, they were fighting a relegation battle really at the start of the season, and all of a sudden they're pushing for, for, for top four. So um, they've impressed uh, definitely. Coming to myself, Zane, uh, I'm going to go back to my prediction was Leicester doing better this season, which there they are. They are proving to be they in the title race, and I also touched on Wilfred and Didi. I just felt that this would be his season as well. He would break out of who he is. They started him off as centre-back. Now he's moved back into midfield with their defenders uh, coming back to full fitness. The guy is 
absolutely going to be um and no disrespect to Leicester supporters, but that guy, he's got such a good opportunity to go to a bigger club. His versatility. I'm just thinking about a club like mine at the moment, Liverpool. Imagine if we had Ndidi. We wouldn't be so lacking of confidence because of his defensive quality he has at the back. So Leicester are doing a brilliant job. We do know that Brendan Rodgers is a good manager. He's got a good assistant alongside him as well, uh, who knows players, who is... I could say still possibly could do a job uh, in Torre. So I'm just so happy for that club, if I'm genuinely honest. Um, coming to Man United, I, what Solskjaer, I think, has done for them is that, that that boring personality has just died out all the noise that was around that club. As Francis was talking about this fiasco with Paul Pogba, every week Pogba's... It's, he's basically just put a cap on it and has concentrated on football matters. On the pitch, let's get the results. And yes, he's got some good plays in a team, but you've got to give people like uh, Maguire, who was not playing well at the beginning of the season, has really improved his game defensively. Um, the whole Man United defence, like I was watching Juan Bissaka the other night when they played. What a fantastic defender this kid is. Yes, going forward, he's not. But, you know, you call a uh, right defense player and he is a fantastic defender uh one-on-one -on -one. um and with that confidence of well you're not going to beat score many goals against us the rest of the team are we can go forward and this is what liverpool had last year we had a very settled team that didn't have the injuries and uh very few people scored against but now when that cracks start to develop and you start to concede more goals, confidence also gets drained. Um, so United are, are, I wouldn't even say the surprise package. They are where they, they are because they've been doing very well. From my point of view, Liverpool are out the league. I lay some of the blame at Klopp's feet as well. He didn't need to play Diego Jota in, a, in an aimless Champions League game out in, in Denmark when he did play him. Um, but th that that is us at the moment. Uh, the, the frustrating thing is a team in Manchester is doing well, and that just breaks my heart. Well, Courtney, we'll 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 certainly go around the houses now to get everybody's prediction on who's going to win it. We'll we'll start with me. We'll go with you. We'll then bring in the King of Cairo and end with our man in Yaounde. Um, but um. I did predict that United would have a good season. I did predict that they'd be there. But I hate to be the guy who just pulls out a reliable answer here. But I really think the way that the season is poised, it's now where City are going to crank up the pressure, where Guardiola gets City to go to a different level, where they go on and they just have the experience, the know-how about how to close out a championship win here. I see City taking it. Obviously, United in the mix. I don't think Liverpool are as bad as you make them out to be, Courtney. I think there's a lot of fight left in that team. There's a lot of talent. Um, and they'll be there in their bouts. I think this is the time that um, while those teams kick onto another level, we'll see the the gap in, in uh, really where, in my mind, Leicester sits. So I think we'll start to see them um, drop a little bit down. And it will be interesting to see if um, if Tottenham can come in into that top four and and get the final Champions League qualifying qualifying place. That that's what I'll be 
I'll be really interested in seeing. But we'll give the ball back to you, Courtney. Who do you see winning it? City win it. City win it comfortably. Uh, reasons being they have a game in hand at the moment and they, after coming into Chris, after Christmas period, uh, haven't picked up many injuries. Their players are on form. Uh, they've lost Kevin De Bruyne. Okay, we know four or five weeks. That's fine. But they've got such quality in that team. Um, I see them winning it comfortably. Uh, I see even a, maybe a gap of maybe eight or nine points they won it by. This year, more than ever, a good run of games really changes things a lot. You see Arsenal were fighting the relegation battle now. They're pretty much solidified mid-table. Um, you, you see Chelsea going through a bad run of games, dropping within a couple of weeks from Champions League down to mid-table. Things you know, can change a lot. Um, I think City are just kind of always going to be that strong side. I think, um, you know, Corn is probably a bit harsh on Liverpool. I think they, uh, they they will do a bit a bit better than that. I think they'll definitely finish in the top four. And um, they've, they've still got all the ability. I think the biggest mistake from them is not signing another centre-back at the start of the season. And, and uh, then um, they really should probably, you know, this, this kind of, you know, transfer window look at signing another centre back because that's the kind of their, their biggest downfalls they never replaced Lovren, they never got someone better than Lovren. Um they just relied on Gomez and got injured and, and Masek as well who got injured. So um definitely that and um you mentioned you know Spurs might go into the top four. I have to completely disagree with you on that one. Um I think this has arguably been one you know one of the worst seasons of actual football that we played in as as far as I can remember, maybe eight, six, eight, six to eight years now. Um, it's been, you know, uh, riding on one nil wins and, and luck is not going to get you anywhere. Um, and as much as Jose is a bit of a narcissist and wants to claim that he's kind of doing amazing things with the club, the quality of players at, at Spurs in relation to how we've been playing and how, you know, dropping three goals in eight minutes against West Ham, Spurs have dropped the most points from in winning positions from half time, ten points. You know that that ten points is what can, is the difference between where we are in fifth to, to being first. So um, I don't think the squad is is great. I don't think the club has managed well enough, um, you know, to, to to challenge that top four. Because I think uh, you know I think the top four as it is currently right now is probably where it will it will end up to be. Oh, it's always nice to hear a good, faithful Spurs fan <laughs> expect his team to be playing super static football. Or and even though you're at present, I, I believe with your game in hand, you go third, like two points behind this Man City. You just waxed lyrical about you're saying you guys are worse. But everybody's intense. In terms of what the, the way that we're playing in, in your in, oh, I understand you, you want giving creative chances style of play that you had before, and I think what Mourinho will bring you, I think a lot of the mistakes that you had early on this season are the things when I look at a player like Dombele, and I see a player who's coming into himself because Mourinho doesn't do this kitty glove stuff that a lot of the new age managers do, and you either step up or you step out, and that's him. And, and I think if your guys get that part, right, the players that you guys have, I genuinely think you'll be there, thereabouts at the end of the season. That's my opinion. 
and it's not wishful thinking because it'd be painful for me because like you're the team who I actually have as the guys who I would rather see win because I think if there's a club that deserves it, it's Spurs because I like the club, but I also like the manager and I felt if he'd been given the chance at United, we would still have won at some point in time. Um, so for me, I'm, I'm also not one who thinks Liverpool are in the dumps. Um, I think getting that run of games together is not that hard because it just takes one really, it could start today. You could beat United today and all of a sudden the confidence comes back and, and you go on that 20 game run undefeated or whatever it is. It's been impressive to see two defensive midfielders hold your defensive line. I think even that as a statement hasn't been appreciated by many because you haven't lost the game like 5-0 or 7-1 with Henderson and Fabinho standing as the guys who are, are holding your, your, your centre-back position. So that in and of itself speaks volumes. But at the same time, I would also say, but what about the young kids in the academy who could have been maybe given an opportunity to step up? Um, uh, it, you need to be able to see that transition at the same time. I'll leave United out of it in my own uh, uh, conversation about who could win it. I, I generally believe it's down to who focuses on the league. And I think until we have the restart in the Champions League or European football, and we know what format that takes in case there's a change with the, the pandemic or something and the way in which it's played out, I think that will determine a lot. And the teams that get out of the cup competitions including the European Cup competitions, I think those teams will stand a better chance of being able to home in because the point difference is this close. So teams like Leicester, in my opinion, don't have an ambition of winning the Champions League, for example. Meanwhile, uh, uh, Pep, I believe that's still the, that's the Mecca. So it's still kind of like you have to go for it. So if any of the other guys were to say, I can give up on the other things and I can home in on this, I don't think you'd see a better year where six, seven teams have an opportunity genuinely to go for gold. Thank you for your analysis. But before we um, call an end to the podcast, I think it's good to give everyone a little bit of an update on the transfer window. Um, this is the first uh, transfer window we have in the United Kingdom since the country has left the European Union. That means there's no longer freedom of movement for players from Europe to the United Kingdom, to the professional leagues that we have here. It means that European players have to qualify, like international players, like African players. There's qualifying criteria based on the number of times they play for their national team, based on their national team's ranking, based on where their league is ranked. And... Um, that is going to be certainly something that is going to, um, I think, in many ways, open up opportunities for players internationally because clubs now are judging by the same criteria. Um, and, of course, this criteria that they are now using, actually, if I'm correct, Ahmed, would have impacted um, not only some players but also coaches and managers who, would have, who, who we currently have in, in, in the Premier League. Yeah, so um, under under the you know the new point system, uh, Mar Marcelo Bielsa, um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, both you know wouldn't have qualified through the you know the straight point system. Um, 
which you have to reach a certain amount of points and depending on what leaders you said but also um there, there is an exception to it to the exceptional um and actually earlier this uh, month we saw uh, Ahmad Diallo from move from Atlanta to uh, Manchester United under that new exemption rule because he's uh, 18 years old he hadn't played uh, enough matches for his, his country he hadn't played any matches for his country um and so uh, an Ivorian player who's obviously very exciting um but he had he'd only played I think four games for Atlanta as well so had you know, no points and that goes to a kind of a court system and, and eventually they kind of gave him the visa which was which was great news I think overall um having this new points-based system it it makes it harder for the for European players but it makes it more fair I think um it's not going to necessarily change those the top top European players moving into, into Premier League because they'll get in straight away but what it does mean is that um a league two or league three player um you know N'Golo Kante for example um would wouldn't have would be regarded the same as a player who played kind of um just could, could have played somewhere else um you know uh, an african player played in in south africa in in tunisia and morocco and greece for example and um, which makes it more fair for, us, for slightly lower league players um so it, it'll be exciting to see kind of what happens but having said that we've seen you know the exemptions i don't know what the rules are on the exemptions but it could just make it the exemptions make it the same as what it was before but we're gonna so as we look to this transfer window, um, which player, which team do you have your eyes on? So, I mean, in terms of, there haven't been that many transfers this, so far, but I think the ones that have stood out as Ahmad Diallo from Atlanta, who's very highly rated, um, hasn't played a huge amount of games, but kind of, um, you know, in the, in the Italian media, they rated him very highly. Um, so he'll be interesting at Manchester United, and we'll see how much uh, game time Oli gives him. Um, another player was uh, Jean-Philippe Mateta from, uh, who moved from Mines on Loan at Crystal Palace. He's a French player, but his dad uh, played in, in Congo, he's a professional footballer as well. Um, exciting player as well, kind of, um, at Mines, he's got an excellent uh, goal-scoring record there, so um, he's one to look out for at Crystal Palace. And... So with the transfer window in particular, I'm happy about one exit. Um, that's Mesut Ozil going to Fenerbahce, well, whenever that's finalized, I think it's really poor the way he was treated. That's my opinion. Uh, I don't know the details of what happened within the house, but when you deprive yourself of a talent like that out of spite and it costs you that level of money, I think you should be punished financially. So I hope Arsenal don't move above 10 and really get repercussions for why you would have a player who you pay that kind of money for week in, week out. And you would drop your list to the FA and to the Premier League authorities for the players you're going to use in and in, in a 25-man pool. You couldn't find space for a talent like Ozil's. For me, that's, that was far too petty, in my opinion. For those of you out there listening, please join the debate. Let us know if you agree with Francis, Courtney, Ahmed and myself or disagree, hit us up on our social media accounts. That's OTW underscore podcast on the Twitters and on Instagram. Find us on Facebook at OTW uh, podcast um, or on the Whistle podcast. Um, we're also on YouTube. We'd love to hear from you. Um, you can also get our WhatsApp details, which are on the show notes. As said, guys, this is our one year anniversary. We've been coming to you every fortnight. For those of you who, for, for the last year, for those of you who follow the show, you notice 
We're dropping every week now. So um, hopefully we're becoming a part of your routine uh, and you welcoming all our, our voices and all the all the um, newsmakers we're bringing onto the show. Um, Francis, enjoy the rest of the, uh, the um, Chan tournament in Cameroon. We look forward to uh, getting your wrap-up of the tournament. Uh, Courtney and Ahmed, uh, look forward to catching up with you guys soon. Um, go out there if you're in the United Kingdom and enjoy the snow. And if you wear Francis's, please make us jealous with pictures of the sun. Sayonara. Thank you. Bye-bye. Cheers, guys. Have a fantastic week.